0: Hi, this is Cindy Surf, and welcome to Backstage at the Center. In each episode, I'll give you a glimpse behind the curtain and on the other side of the stage door at Chandler Center for the Arts. On today's episode, I interviewed the two founding members of Las Cafeteras, Denise Carlos and Hector Flores. They're coming to Chandler Center for the Arts on October 28th to premiere a new Dia de los Muertos musical experience called Hasta la Muerte. With special guest vocalist Lupita Infante, the evening will be one of tradition, honoring those who came before, and celebration. I had a wonderful conversation with Denise and Carlos about how they got started, the creation of this new show, and what Dia de los Muertos means to them. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I want to talk about the show, but I first want to talk, how did Las Cafeteras start?
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> we started as little as little college kids. We started as little college organizers and folks who are really interested not only in, in doing well in school, but also just like bettering our community. And so I met uh, Jose at a protest uh, against budget cuts. I met Denise doing work uh, in support of indigenous folks in Southeast Mexico called the Zapatistas. Uh, We were trying to build, we were part of a community center in LA that Denise was part of founding called the Eastside Cafe. And we would do free programmings uh, for the community. So if anybody had a skill and anybody knew anything, we would say, can you teach the, can you have a class? So if like, hey, you know how to draw. Can we have a drawing class? Can you do a drawing class? So we would actually go to different people to share skills and in this space called the Eastside Cafe is where we learned how to play music. And it was, it's this humble little space. It was not even a cafe. It was just four walls and a door, but that's where we had all these, all these classes. And, um, me and Denise were really active with the space for many years. And we finally got a music class that taught this indigenous, uh, Afro-Mexican style of music called Son Jarocho. And that was the first time I played and, and danced and as well for Denise. So
0: when was that?
1: 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm, wow. But we, didn't, we wouldn't call ourselves a band until about like 2008, 2009.
2: We started learning it as a hobby and it just felt so good that we couldn't stop. We just, you know, hang out with a bunch of our friends, whether it was at the set cafe, somebody's house, you know, eventually like at marches and quinceaneras, we just would play and play and play. And we just loved it so much, but we we weren't even intentionally becoming a band, you know, until people started putting mics in front of us. And we said, hey, maybe we should rehearse okay. these songs before everyone you know, can hear what we have to say. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until somebody's like, I want to record you performing that we were like, whoa, oh, this is turning into something totally different. Yeah, we're just mm. hobby. musicians.
1: So from students to like, you know, from students to artists to like, then evolving into musicians as people who like really understand, okay, this is a thing. Let's practice. Let's rehearse. Let's try to get better. And here we are uh, almost 15 years later.
0: So with those like advocacy or, well, yeah, with those advocacy roots or community roots, um, have you seen that that is something that is like a common thread in your music or the music that you guys create? I think it's really the seed of who Las Cafeteras is. You know, we never left
2: that part of ourselves behind. Um, It was always intentional for us to write that into our our music. You know, where we started singing very traditional verses that um, are part of the Son Jarocho genre, we eventually started writing in things about our lives, our stories, our parents, um, the struggles and the beauties, you know, that we witnessed in our communities. And, you know, a lot of it had to do with being Chicano, with having parents who were undocumented, with seeing um, that we wanted, you know, justice in our communities and what that meant for each one of us. So the music really gave space for that. And we did it in our, you know, Spanish and English, in Spanglish languages that we communicate with. And so it's always gone hand in hand. You know, we've never left it behind. But at the same time, we've evolved into being able to sing about everything else, right? Not everything mm-hmm. had to do about the struggle, but also about love and happiness and joy. And so I think now you'll see that our music really holds space for so much more. Than struggle right and so yes. I think that, that for us it holds space for us as people as well and for our audiences you know there's a lot of joy that we see a lot of laughing a lot of dancing and I love it because we deserve those spaces and so yes seeds of you know social justice but it's grown and it's bloomed into so much more okay cool.
0: Oh, I love that because I think when you go to a concert, it's probably one of the few times that sometimes for us, we actually allow ourselves to like enjoy the moment, right? So that's awesome. Um, so who are the other members of the band? So there's, there's you and Hector, and then who are the other members of the
1: band? Right now, there's uh, the core members right now is, is Denise, myself, and Jose Cano. Okay. Um, and then we have uh, different members who we brought on as, uh, we have a musical director, we brought on, who's also our bassist, Moises Baquero. You know, we have on keys, we have Jesus Gonzalez, and then our, our guitar requintero player has been with us, wow, almost eight years now. I think Jorge Mijangos. And then joining us for this run, we're gonna have Jasmine Lopez on the violin. Uh, amazing, amazing artist and violinist who's been doing mariachi for years. And then we're really super excited to bring on granddaughter of iconic singer pedro infante lupita infante she's going to be joining us for this whole tour and i think with that it's like we got a we got a powerhouse of a of a squad and -hmm. then aside from that we're also going to be bringing on dancers so we're going to have also uh, a dance crew that'll be joining us as well um i don't know if you know you want to share the names Carlos?
2: Sure. Um, well, we have John Paul, uh, who serves as a choreographer, and a glimpse I got of a rehearsal so is he's also going to be dancing. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I thought you're the choreographer. So he will be dancing as well. We have Adriana Rafaela, who will be our Katrina. So she will be, you know, the madrina of the of the night. Uh, we have Angelina Rivera. We have. Oh my gosh, we have so many. I'm like, who are, who do we have? We have Jennifer Janelli, who's also gonna be dancing. Um, And then we have Dante Espinosa. And um, these are all seasoned dancers, young people of, of our communities here of Los Angeles, who I've had the pleasure of dancing with as well in, a, in different capacities and different groups who have mostly done their work in, in Mexican folklorico dancing, but also do some modern dance and ballet. And so we'll see a lot of that in this production where we're not just holding them to their zapateo, right? Not just their feet, but also the beauty of, of all body movement and so it's
1: It's a beautiful baby theater (laughs) it
0: it really is I mean I know that you told me it's a production it's a really big production yeah we're excited we're excited to be able
2: to see it finally on on stage um, because there's a lot of people working and so we really just want to honor this holiday um the season of Dia de los Muertos because it means so much to us but also it means a lot for us to interpret it for different audiences and so we're we're really happy and excited that we're going to be able to do that throughout different stages
0: what can people expect when they come into the doors and they sit down and the lights come down and what can they expect
1: we're going to give two different shows so one uh, so this is a two-act show that and so when people come in they're going to experience two different shows in one night okay and the first act is uh is going to be an homage to the tradition it's going to be a much more rooted in uh the storytelling and folklore of mexico we're going to highlight different archetypes and share different stories such as uh, the archetype of la llorona la catrina la bruja um mm-hmm. and we're going to delve into a little bit of of what of grief and death and loss and really the act one is really going to be about that grief death and loss mm-hmm. and um and it's going to be act one will be much more passionate dramatic and story-based theater the second act mm-hmm. is going to be much more of an explosion it'll be much more of the music it's going to be much, so the second act is really about the, uh, the afterlife, the party in the afterlife. You know, mm-hmm. we call it viva la vida, viva la muerte. So it'll be like, it'll be what, the, we're going to give people an idea. No, no, Nobody knows what the afterlife looks like. It's such a mystery. It's something we all talk about, but nobody's been there. Nobody's seen it, right? Especially mm-hmm. us, the living. And so we're going to give our own interpretation as young Chicano, Chicana, Chicanx artists of what, the, of what a party in the afterlife could look like. What does celebration look like beyond this world? The whole night's gonna be a mix of tradition. It's gonna be a mix of original music and reinterpretation, you know? And so we were born here. And so we interpret tradition mm-hmm. very differently than in Mexico. We interpret folk and folklore. And so we're gonna be telling a story of De Los Muertos. And we hope in the future there'll be, it'll inspire many more stories to come out about people's own loved ones and their own journey to grief, sorrow, death, and life.
2: Mm. I love that. When you step outside of, of the creation of an art piece and you hear about it, it just, you know, it sounds so beautiful and exciting, especially since we're putting so much of our heart into this. And so are the dancers and all the musicians. We're creating new music that's going to... Um, you know, be coupled with this act, you know, kind of like a soundtrack where we're going to be uh, recording this new music that we're going to be debuting in this production. And so I think for me, like being able to have the space to, to bring along, you know, folks on this journey of what, you know, what we may interpret loss and death and grief like and how we can also be on the journey together into the acceptance and even the the peace that comes after, right? And how in our tradition, nobody ever dies or goes away if you keep telling their stories. And this is part of the way that we do it, right? So we're going to, you know, I think this is a visual and, and auditory altar that we're actually building with our bodies and our music and our dancing and then having physical you know, and that is where the ofrendas, the offering is also like we're going to invite our crew to be able to share pictures of their loved ones and have it also a visual of, of our loved ones being projected on the screen because we're not just writing this art piece for everyone else, but we're also utilizing it for us and for us to be able to remember our loved ones as our offering is this actual production. And so it's gonna be very meaningful. And we've had many a tear shed at dance rehearsals at least, you know, because when we when I ask them to put their full selves and think about who they're honoring in their dance, it gets very emotional, you know. But even as we're writing and, and rehearsing this show, I feel like a lot of um, a lot of healing is happening, a lot of closure. Mm-hmm. And so the ceremony has already begun. And these shows will actually be, you know, the completion of of that journey for us too.
0: That sounds so beautiful. I love that you call it auditory of like, like such a, wow. Like it's such a great way to talk about stories that we tell, right. To carry people forward and their souls and, and who they are generations for generations. I love that. That's
1: really beautiful. You know, I feel it's interesting too, just in a time where like we're all documenting like we're, we're, we're not remembering, mm. you know? So everybody's like taking pictures, everybody's posting, but we're not remembering. You ask somebody like, Hey, what's your mama's phone number? They don't know, you know, Hey, where were you, you know, where, where's your mama born? They don't know. Mm. And like, and we get to celebrate a tradition that's hundreds of years old. And it reminds us that we have a lot of traditions that, that if we don't practice them, we will lose them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And in our own, so this is an example of us, cafeteras trying to practice and remember who we are, but in the same time, we are inviting other people to remember who they are and to practice their traditions. In a time where a lot of our, like where Native Americans and indigenous practices are systematically eliminated from history books, right? This is a practice that survived and so and that, that teaches us that if we don't keep on this going, we will lose ourselves as well. For me, it's fascinating that we still have this practice because it just shows the resilience of native and indigenous communities. It shows the resilience of families working to make sure that we don't forget who we are. You know, Denise always says, she says, we, um, what is it that you say, Carlos? We're preparing to be ancestors. You know, so what are we doing in this lifetime to be a good ancestor for the next seven generations?
0: Do either one of you have a memory or a moment or want to share? So either a Dia de los Muertos that for you kind of solidified like what it means for you or memories of maybe a tradition that's been carried forward for a long time for you so that it, it is that it is that sacred space or place or time for you?
1: I was 17 years old, and I went to a cel- Day of the Dead celebration at Self Help Graphics in East LA. And Self Help Graphics has been practicing this celebration uh, through as an artistic form, theatrical form, and a musical form since the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it was a space in Southern California in LA that sort of practiced, that sort of took the traditions from Mexico and sort of housed it in a, in a space. Um and I remember being seventeen years old and feeling not like feeling so connected and not knowing what it was at the same time. And I was like, why why you know and smelling the sage, smelling the copal uh hearing the drum, uh seeing dancers, watching art on the wall and the way people describe the people used to like illustrate the dead and make fun of the dead and see things like um uh, what's his name, uh, Jose Guadalupe Posadas, paintings where it was like, they took dead, they took the idea of death and made it hilarious. Mm-hmm. They made it comical. They made fun of it. And for me, it was, it was I was like, what is this? Mm. And what I realized, you know, what I realized 17 that I didn't know is like, it, it is part of who I am as a, as a brown kid, you know, mixed indigenous Mexican kid growing up. Right. This is, this was something that I was connected to, but I had no idea. And I think that for everybody, you know, everybody is indigenous to some place. Everybody has a story. Everybody has family. Everybody has traditions. Dia Los Muertos is what is what, at least in the Americas and what, you know, what native folks over here and, and what we know today as Mexico practice, but every tradition has a way to remember their folks, their people. And, um, And when I was 17, I realized that this is something that that I was connected to and but I had no idea, you know, and I didn't really speak Spanish that well. And, you know, but I was connected. And so it was this this celebration allowed me to feel connected to my indigenous self, to my Mm -hmm. Mexican self, to Mm -hmm. my brown self uh, in a way that school did not, in a way that religion did not. And then it took me many years to actually practice it myself you know to actually like all right i'm going to take this picture and put it on an altar
2: i love that i mean i feel the same way you know we didn't pra- we didn't practice celebrating the three it's actually a 3 day process right the de los angelitos and like the the day that you that you honor um babies or or young people who have passed and elders and and people in the in between and you know um and how close it was to Halloween for me like I didn't really get the the how distinct like the 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 celebration of the Los Muertos was and until I was in college and also in self help graphics and how that involved less of what I grew up with when I when you know in in my family there was never really um like it wasn't taboo to talk about death because we did a lot of You know, the novenarios, when someone passed, we'd go to Mexico and like, you know, whoever passed, like we'd pray for for nine days and and they'd be like on the porch, their body would be on the porch and like we would be eating and talking and crying and laughing. All the things was happening in those days where you know, there's also the rosary being being uh, prayed. Um, And so it was very Catholic, you know, my upbringing, and and the way that we mourned was very Catholic. And it wasn't until college where I also started learning and and the practice of celebrating the afterlife as well, and, and really imagining how beautiful and how magical that could be. And when I talked to my parents about it, they were really, you know, they're like, we didn't, do that and where we're from like why would you do that and my dad said you know this is a this is a mexican-american thing a chicano thing this is an la cultural phenomenon you know obviously it, it, it's very oaxacan there's a lot of regions in Latin america and and mexico that have a, a very heavily you know celebration like celebratory practices of dia de los muertos my parents didn't come from those places and so it's a big way a way to integrate the acceptance of when someone passes Michoacán as well, Puebla, more indigenous, heavy um, regions. And so for me, it became very medicinal to, to be able to have these spaces in L.A. to, as I got older and people I loved did start dying, how I had something to hold on to in my grief, be it the smell of copal or sage, having that in my home. Right. Having everything available to me that allowed me like a really beautiful medicinal ceremony of being grateful for the people in my life and also wishing them well on their journey and understanding that as we as we lit the copal and the stage, as we build that is that you're also helping guide those people into, you know, the afterlife and that we're also responsible to hold that space and so it really it became less of a lonely process right and I think a lot of what we have tangible to us be it the smell be it the the building about that is be, being the pictures that we can look at and still tell the stories like we have that to hold on to and I've learned that you know since I started learning more about this holiday but I do think that that's what we're bringing into the show, you know, Hasta la Muerte, that we're reminding folks that as a community, we have tangibles and we have medicines and we have ceremonies that we can hold together in our own grief and acceptance, but at the same time, holding those people through and in hopes, and in, again, it's very much a like our culture and our traditions that we understand that they're going to make it into this beautiful place where we're celebrating life and death as that dichotomy, right? That it's not just one thing or the other, but it's all of it. And once we accept that, that it's, it's beautiful and magical and that we have a place in both. And so... Um, this is kind of what we want to showcase in the two acts, right? Act one and Act two. Act two, we're actually going to be converted into, you know, the unliving uh-huh. <laughs> and celebrating and kind of being part of that party and inviting the audience to also be part of the party. And so, I feel like we're going to hit a lot of different emotions yeah. in this uh, show. I um, almost feel, like, feel
1: like Act two ma- is mocking the living. Huh? Because- interesting because act two is a, celebration. Right. Like we're celebrating in the afterlife where everybody who's living is crying, you know, you're, you're mourning, you're in grief, but those who have passed, they're good. Like they're, once they reach the afterlife, it's kind of like they're now get to party with their family. They get to meet with friends they haven't seen. They get to meet their favorite mm-hmm. celebrities they never met in the real world, you know? They get to kick it with Selena. They get, you know, so it's like we create that world we're like, they're good. They're no longer suffering, but we, us, we mm-hmm. are. So it's almost a mocking of, of we strength. hold
2: on to the suffering, right? Yeah, we,
1: Exactly, you know? And so like, that's what I love about De Los Muertos. It's like, and what even uh, Posadas did, it was like, it was a mockery of death. We should not be scared of death. You know, we should yeah. not. And the
2: differences, death. right? What right. he would say is, um, and you see like a Katrina right here. You know like very embellished and it's like when we die no but like money doesn't matter riches don't matter we're all equal and so it that was the thing that posadas left us with is that we're all equal in the afterlife when people die your money doesn't go with you nothing goes with you but your soul and your spirit but yeah you know we're 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 encouraging people to come with you know their calaca calavera faces on um we'll be having our faces painted so it's going to be really great to celebrate with everyone and also to learn how every community celebrates as well. We're really happy to be invited. And that because this is something that hasn't happened in a couple of years, I hope that your, your you know, community members and patrons and audience are going to you know, come and be right at a party. What
0: do you hope people will walk away with?
1: I mean, I really hope that people walk away with wanting to do their, with, with wanting to practice in the ceremony of remembering their family. It, that, that's what I really want. I want people to see this and, and think about, the, about their own folks, about their own families, about their own lineage, and are invited to, to use this celebration as a practice. Right? There's things you don't own. There's things that are not meant to be owned. You, know? you don't own water, you don't own air, you don't own memories. People don't own that. You know, and, and, and how we, You can't own how someone practices and, and remembers their family. So we're showing people here's one way native folks have taught us to do it and we we hope we wish you well on your journey as you remember your family and your loved ones. That's how that's all I wish people do.
2: To like I hope people walk away with a lot of pride and you know for for their their culture if they are part of this uh, practice of of celebrating Day of the Dead, I hope people are proud of it, you know, come out like really remembering that this is something we have as a community. Also that every cultural group and every ethnic group has a way to remember um, and honor the folks who have passed away. And that if they don't know it, that they are asking their family, right? And that they hold that practice close as, as a healing practice. And three, I hope they walk away with our limited edition merch items. Because <laughs> 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 we're gonna have some really cute things for people to <laughs> remember this season. I'm gonna um, try,
1: we're trying to I'm trying to convince uh, Denise's mom to make limited edition crowns because her mom does yeah. crowns.
0: Oh, is um, she the one that made the crown that you're wearing in the picture? She didn't we, do that um, one,
1: but she does every every year they'll they'll make them.
0: Yeah, we make flower crowns.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should do
2: that, we should do that. My mom needs a hobby right now. Uh, Denise, did Hector show you
0: that you were on the front of our building? I saw that picture. I showed it to my dad and he was like- so stunning, so stunning. (gasps) It's
1: such a great picture. It's such a great
2: shot. Have you seen pictures with Lupita Infante?
0: Yes, they're really, really beautiful. She's stunning.
2: She is so, so beautiful. So really quick, how did you guys get her?
1: Denise is friends with her. I'll be
2: like, hey, girl, you want to do this? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, for us, I think because, you know, both in both of our families, Hector and I, um, our parents are from Mexico. They're like legitimate Mexicans, And we're just half of, Yeah, <laughs> we're Americans. And so we didn't grow up with it. And so we were looking at, How do we invite people of our parents' generations to be interested and really invested in this kind of show in the case that they never practiced it and and maybe their kids do, right? So part of the intention was that we would invite somebody who's such an important piece to the lineage of mariachi, ranchera, Mexican traditional music, as is Lupita Infante being the granddaughter of... The iconic Pedro Infante, who, you know, I grew up watching him. My parents watch him on, on TV. He you know, was a big part of the golden era of Mexican cinema, of just, you know, the greats, the maestros of ranchera music in Mexico. Um, and so be it that she is, you know, in, in Los Angeles and is actually practicing as a female uh, mariachi, not just mariachi, but like ranchera singer, um, we just thought it was a really good uh, partnership to have, not only to invite those really beautiful sounds into the musical component of the show, but also to give homage to that and to invite people of our parents' generation who really, you know, hold on to those sounds and to see that she's a young woman doing it and that we are taking the traditional and remixing it. I think it was a really, really good way to have her highlighted doing this traditional music and how it influences now the music that Chicanos are writing and creating. And so, you know, we're hoping that people of all generations are coming to the show, all folks that like the different genres that is, you know, Latino America and Mexico and Chicano music. And she's just amazing. Like, she's just really cool. She's really creative. And I was excited to see, and she's excited to do something different as well. And so she grew up here in LA. Um, she was a, a student at UCLA and this is when her and I met in Mexico doing La Voz in Mexico. So it was kind of random, um, but we really respect each other as artists. And, you know, we're like, can we do this? Of course we can do it. So we're excited to have her on board. She's, she's really, um, you know, I'm going to use the word excited again, but she, she really is interested in how we remix the traditional into
0: telling the stories that we what we what we do today and so it's my hope that our community fully embraces it and because it you know Mexican culture is certainly part of our story here in Chandler it I think theodela Smart is such a beautiful such a beautiful thing and such a beautiful practice as you guys were calling it so No, we're excited. We're excited to see you guys because I know that we've been wanting you here for a while and then, you know, COVID. I think it's going to be, I'm really, really excited about it. I hope you'll join us on Friday, October 28th for Las Cafeteras presents Hasta la Muerte with special guest Lupita Infante. It promises to be a very special evening. Tickets are on sale at ChandlerCenter.org or you can always call our friendly box office staff here at the center.